stay in your Bible. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. We're going to be there the entire time. And let me start by this. Um, I've only been kicked in the face, I think, one time. And it was by my sister. It was an up kick whenever I was really young. Uh, if those that are a, a big fan of UFC, you know that the up kick is a very effective strike. You know, it's very, it's very good. It's very powerful. If you don't know what an up kick is, it's whenever you, like girls, it's mostly girls, get on their back. I think you're taught this in self-defense. You get on your back and you just start like firing like jabs with your legs back and forth over and over at your, at your um, you know, adversary. And, um, and so this came from my older sister whenever we were like, I don't know, seven or so. And uh, something happened. I don't even remember the altercation. I might have had a concussion because she, she got me really good right in, the, uh, right in the jaw with this up kick. And I tell you what, uh, it's effective. And I left her alone after that. You know, she, she, she definitely won. Uh, I'm, I'm big enough to admit it now. I think I've, I, I don't know if I've told anyone that story until this, this moment, just now, 26 years later or whatever it, it has been. But uh, it, was an effective, it was an effective strike. And this is my point. Siblings fight, okay? Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes siblings fight. Uh, sometimes they, uh, they get over stuff, and sometimes they, 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 they just have to throw down. And sometimes you got to turtle and upkick, you know? And that's, that's, how we, that's how we have to operate. But uh, uh, my sister was over at the house uh, just yesterday. We have a great relationship now. And um, it's very beautiful. She has, a great, she has a great family. She has a great husband. She has great kids. And uh, all things, uh, I think all things are under the water since that, since that upkick. Hi, sister. She, she always watches every Sunday and so, uh, online. And so, um, yeah, Lauren is an is a, uh, amazing older sister. And my point is, my point is this, is we fight, but uh, sometimes we have to work through sibling rivalries and fights to get to a more healthy, harmonious relationships. And, and what James is saying here in our passage is that Christians fight too. Christians fight too. But oftentimes, whenever Christians, they go to blows and they fight, it doesn't necessarily cause for reconciliation later down the road. We are really good at driving big, big wedges between us. Are we not? I mean, think about it. I mean, even the Bible talks about this, the difference between the early Jewish Christians and the early Gentile Christians. Galatians talks about how there was division and racism going all the way up to the very top, even within the apostles. And so we, we fight and we like to find ways to distinguish each other and we drive these wedges in between one another. It, it, it also happened with the uh, Catholic Church in, in the Eastern Orthodox Church. Very, very early on within church history, there was this massive wedge. There was this fight. And it was like, no, I think the ordinance need to be like this. And like, let's go to war. Let's fight. And, and this happened. And this happened. And this is very ironic whenever Jesus says, this is how the world will know that you're my disciples, how you love one another. And yet we fight. And this is what James is addressing here. And really what James is, James is concluding a thought that a stream of consciousness that he's trying to teach us for a couple of chapters now. And this is kind of the flow of how this whole, whole uh, James thing goes. He, he said, first of all, your words are powerful. Your words are powerful. We see this at the beginning of, of chapter three. And it says, a wise person uses his 
his words to bring healing, to bring life, and to bring joy to other people. And then it says a wise individual will also promote peace. And then he's going on to say, which was the end of our, 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 our um, sermon last week. And then he goes on to say, let me tell you where all this stems from. If something goes wrong here, it's coming from the heart. And so he's about to get to the root of the matter of why we manifest our emotions in different ways and why we have fights and quarrels among each other. It's because of this issue that he is addressing right now. And he's saying that if you're producing bad fruit within your life, if, if the thing, it's, it's not the fruit's problem. It's not your circumstances. It's not, well, I was born into this family or my mom raised me this way or my, my dad was kind of, he was working too much. No, the, 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 the problem with the things that are going on, if you're producing bad fruit in your life, the root of the matter comes from your heart. It comes from your heart. That's what he's trying to say. He's saying, look, follow along with me right here in verse one. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within the world? No, within you, within you. And so he asks the question, and before they can answer in like typical Jamesian fa fashion, he's like, what causes fights and what causes quarrels around you? Ah, 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 no. It's like, like your mom, you know, whenever you're fighting with your siblings a little bit, and he's like, oh, well, he did this, and she did this, and she upkicked me, you know, like all this, and you're like, no, no, stop it, stop it. You're both the problem. Love each other, right? That's what, that's what moms are really good, good at doing. Um, and James is going to instruct them that the problem right now is your own heart. It's your own heart. And so we see this, kids, uh, whenever they throw fits, it's not typically because of external things. It's because they're not getting their own way. And that's what James is really trying to get at. He's like, the reason why all these fights and quarrels are going on, your passions are at war within you because you want your own way always. Think about kids. Think about kids. I don't want to go to bed, Mom. I don't want to go to bed. I was like, why don't you just honor mom and dad? Like, this is the fifth commandment, and you're supposed to be doing this. I was like, well, I don't, I don't want to. What, what are they saying there? I want my own way. I don't, I don't want to do the right thing. I want my own way. I don't want to eat my carrots, okay? Same thing. I don't want to stop painting my brother's face. All this, you know, same thing. They just want to do their, 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 what they're doing over and over again. And so... This is what James is trying to, what causes fights and what causes quarrels among you? Is it not your passions, your passions, your heart, the evilness in your heart, the selfishness in your heart? That's what causes slander. That's what causes fights. That's what causes you to look at other people and say, you know what, they're the problem. And James is saying, no, no, you are actually you are actually the problem. And notice that James never actually mentions what their, their issue is in this passage. He never says, what causes fights and what causes quarrels among? Let's list them so that the church 2,000 years later can know, know what they are. No, he doesn't, he doesn't even get into the issue because he knows. He say, he's, he, he's saying, you're the problem. It wasn't over acapella or like, oh, I like this hymn or contemporary music or anything like that. Or that guy's playing the cowbell too loud. It, it doesn't talk about anything that it, any specifics. Any specifics, James is trying to point out, why are you fighting with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Because you want your own way. You want your own way. And when we do not agree with our group that we subscribe to in life, 
Whatever, whatever it is. And there's a, there's a million of them that we like to subscribe to. It's like, I'm the type of person that listens to this music. I'm the type of person that wears these clothes. I'm the type of person that wants to be known for this thing over here. Whenever that, whenever that happens and someone disagrees with you that that's not the best way to do life, you say, let's go to war. Let's fight. That's, that's some obvious examples of this is, um, goodness, I mean... Y'all remember the election? That was fun, right? That was really fun. <laughs> um, to where um, highest voter turnout ever in election history. Why? Because we turned everything of who you're voting for into a moral issue. And if you're not on my and if you're not on my side, hey, we are fighting. We're about to throw down. We're throwing down because of this thing. Because I'm Democrat and you're Republican or you're you're Libertarian. We do this. We're just like, well, I get all my news from Stephen Colbert. It's like, I get all my, all my news from him, and if you don't listen to him, you're stupid, and you're like, you're just not educated. Or it's like, I get all my news from ben, Sh- ben Shapiro, and he's so smart, and he talks so fast, and he's Jewish, and all this other stuff. And like, and if you don't, and if you don't, then you're wrong. You're wrong. And we pull out our daggers, and we go to war, right? And James is saying, the problem is not all these external factors. The problem lies deep within our hearts. Your desire for people to join your side is what causes fights. You want people to constantly validate your opinion, your perspective. And that's, that's what James is trying to address here. Because listen, this is the spirit of this age. I'm going to kind of get James like all up in your face for, for a second. The spirit of this age is this, is that we really need to repent of and I I would say that James is addressing as demonic here is the only people that are allowed on my team are people that I feel superior to that need my help in some way or people that agree with me and everyone else is not just wrong, they're evil. That is the demonic influence that's going on in our culture today. So I have, I'm going to say that again. Just so, just so that we can really dwell and think on it. The, the way that we are processing through life right now is the people that are on my side are people, people that I feel superior to, that are downstream, that need my help in some way. The people that agree with me, they're also on my team, and everyone else is evil. My brothers, it ought not to be this way, especially in the people of God, in the people of God. But we... We have been so duped by the enemy that we have. We fight over every little thing. I remember First Baptist Church Bowie growing up. There was a fight over the color of the carpet that we were laying down. There was a flood that happened, and then there was a fight. People were throwing down because, like, blue, what about red? Red's beautiful, like the blood of Jesus, you know, going down. The, I, I was like, what, what are we fighting? <laughs> Why are we fighting over this? There's lost people that need to be saved, right? And so... James is trying to say that, hey, we are duped. We are duped whenever we are following the course of this world that is constantly trying to divide us on every little thing. And the reason why we're constantly divided by different things is not external factors, not because Donald Trump was president, not because Joe Biden's president now, but because of our own sinful heart, our own sinful heart. That's, that, is, that is the issue right here. You know, you know what? You understand what James is saying here? James is saying very bluntly that the center of every single conflict you have, 
The problem is not the person that you have a conflict with. The problem is the person that you're looking at whenever you look in the mirror. You are the problem. I am the problem. That's what James is trying to very clearly communicate to us right here. That the center of every single parent-child conflict is whoever you are in that, in that relationship. Are you the child? The problem is you. Are you a parent? The problem is you. You say, Cody, well, that's, that's kind of rude. You don't know my kid or you don't know my spouse or you don't know. Like, uh, like really, the problem is her. The problem is him. The problem is the whole group of them over here. But listen, listen. The word of God is very explicit of how we are to live. And unless you can, with a very clear conscience, say this, listen. Say, you know what? With my kids, I have perfectly brought them up in the instruction of the, dis- in the discipline of the Lord, just as the Lord has told me to do. As a spouse, if you're, if you're a wife in this room, I have perfectly respected my husband in every single situation. I have never talked down to him about my friends. I have never belittled him um, um, in, in my small group. I, I always honor him in everything that I do. I respect my husband. Can you say that with a clear conscience? Husbands, can you say about your wives, you know what? I've always washed her in the water of the word, and I've laid down my life the same way that Christ has laid down his life for me. I lay down my life for my spouse. Roommates in, in this room, have you always honored your roommates perfectly? Brothers and, sis- brothers and sisters um, in this room, have you always honored your brother and sister as an image bearer of the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you loved them? Have you cherished them? If the answer to any of that is no, this is what James is saying. You're the problem. You're the problem. We're the problem. And if we want healthy conflict within the church, we need to embrace this, this understanding that, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm not living. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner that is in desperate need of a Savior. All conflict sources stem from the person staring back at us in the mirror. There was a, a newspaper back in the... Uh, early 20th century in London that asked several of the leading thinkers of the day, uh, can you, uh, we want people from every different philosophy coming together and uh, writing about what is the problem with the world? What's the problem with the world? Okay, I'm going to read the entire article that this guy named G.K. Chesterton wrote. It is, it is amazing. It is absolutely powerful. G.K. Chesterton was a Catholic theologian who was, who was very evangelistic, very, very orthodox in all of, it, all of his thinking. That you're saved by Christ alone through faith alone. And so he, and he wrote over 4,000 essays to, um, uh, to uh, different publications and stuff. He was a brilliant, brilliant thinker, okay? So just buckle up. The first part is really great, okay? So really listen to the first part of what G.K. Chesterton said. What is the problem to the world to this, new, uh, to this newspaper? Are you ready? Okay, this is what he wrote. Dear sirs, I am. Sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. What's the problem with the world? I am. I'm the problem with the world. You're the problem with the world. Our sin, our selfishness, the, the, the way that we don't love each other as we love ourselves, we're the problem with the world. We're the problem. And this, this attitude that G.K. Chesterton is, is writing about 
means that he has a very strong grasp of the implications of the gospel, that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, saved by grace, saved by grace. There is no issue. Listen, you know what that means? There is no issues that two Christians can't get together and say, okay, we can work this out without going to war about. See, Cody, like, that's naive. There's a lot of big issues out there. There's a lot of big issues that we need to obviously, you know, go to war about and fight, fight about. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? Let's give a couple examples. Well, Calvinism versus Arminianism. Shouldn't we go to war about that? Right? Isn't that, isn't that a big issue that we need, we need to say, oh, you're wrong. Send me Pelagian. You know, like, I, I could fight those people. You know, like, what's going on over here? Well, um, No. No, it's not something that we have to go to war about. In fact, there, there was a, uh, I recently went to a, a seminary thing, and uh, there was a story that was told there that was just absolutely amazing. And the story goes something along this. They were debating this issue of Calvinism versus Arminian in a classroom. And uh, they, uh, it got so heated in the seminary classroom that they literally fought each other. They went to blows. They started punching each other and they had to be broken up like in the seminary, like when they're supposed to be learning about Jesus and like, uh, Daryl, was that your class? Was that your class? That, it, it, all right. <laughs> Notice he just says, we, we won. That's perfect. But uh, they go to blows. And they, so there's a big debate within the seminary of like, what, what needs to happen? Like what needs to happen? How are they going to deal with the discipline? Is someone going to be expelled? And so uh, the the conclusion came down is like, well, you know, the Arminian uh, was expelled because he had a choice to hit the guy, and the Calvinist didn't have a choice to hit the guy. And so, like, he was expelled, and the Calvinist got to say, all right? There's a little, little humor right there. But no, these are issues that are extremely, extremely orthodox th through and through. Uh, John Piper uh, did a dialogue on one of his blogs about the interactions between Charles Simeon and John Wesley. Charles Simeon was, um, was known as, as very reformed. John Wesley had his own form of kind of semi-Pelagianism uh, on the other side called Wesleyan-Arminianism. And uh, this is what the transcript of the dialogue between the two said. Uh, Charles Simeon, uh, whenever he met the elderly John Wesley, he says, I've been told that I am what's called a Calvinist, and you're called an Arminian. He says, so I guess we're supposed to pull out our daggers now, right? Let's pull them out. And he says, but before we do, let me ask you a couple of questions. He goes, how is one saved? John Wesley said, by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus. Then he asked, do you despair of your ability to make yourself right before God? He goes, yes, I do. Do you cry out for mercy saying the Lord Jesus has to pay for my sin through his substitutionary atonement? He goes, yes, I do. do, do does Jesus' grace carry you all the way through to glory? He goes, yes, it does. And when you stand before God, God, why are you there? And he goes, by Christ alone. He said, well, we can put up our daggers now because there's way more that we agree upon than we disagree upon. And so we cannot, we cannot delight, uh, allow these things to divide us to a place where we are slandering other people, gossiping about other people, pulling out our daggers and trying to divide the church of God that he bought and paid for by his blood. These, my brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. They ought not to be so. The church 
needs to be unified on big issues. I'm not saying that, that it doesn't. We need to be able to have a form to identify what those big issues are, and we need to be able to worship accordingly to our convictions with clear consciences as believers in Jesus. But here's the principle. If there's anything that causes division among, among us, and if you feel in your heart this wellspring of anger to go to war for the Lord Jesus as if he can't go to war for himself, I would, I would present to you that most likely what James is teaching right here what James is teaching right here is that that desire to go to war might be for your own glory and not the glory of the Lord. It might be just because you want people to side with you and validate your own, like your own convictions and say, God, this is, what it, this is what it means for me to follow. This is what it means to follow you. And if anyone is against, if, is against me, that means they're against you. No, no. The Lord Jesus will work these things out. There's so many parables, even about that, to where we need to have, with a clear conscience, celebrate what the Lord is doing within our town. Celebrate what the Lord is doing with other believers. And so if you hear, if you hear something of what, uh, something going on in a different church uh, here in town or in a different ministry in town, what is, your, what is your initial reaction? Is it joy? Are you, is your heart celebrating with them? Oh, praise God. Praise God that he's moving over there. I hope the Holy Spirit continues to move and thrive. Or is it it's like, well, I joined this new church plant, and it's really, I think it's going to be the next cool thing. I think it's going to be, is that your heart? Because if so, we need, to, we need to check our motivations. We need to check our motivations and see if we're actually doing this for our own, our own glory or doing this for the glory of the one who saved you. So, the principle here is that all strife, all strife really comes down to just you, just you. And it's pretty crazy, but that's the principle that he is trying to communicate. And look what, here's, a, here's another pointer that James tries to, to bring out. He says, you know that this is about you if an issue has made you hot about something and you haven't even prayed about it. Look what it says. Look at what it says right here. It says, you desire and do not have because you murder. You covenant and cannot attain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. What is he saying? You haven't even prayed about this thing, and you're fired up about it. That's how you know it's about you. That's how you know it's about you and not really about God. Because your first initial reaction whenever strife or something makes you heated is not to run to the Lord about it, but it's to run to, I'm right, Run to social media to say how right you are and to try to get your, your likes and your crowd to side with you and to say, the other side is evil and I am right. And I am right. Listen, if you don't pray about it, you know it's not really about the Lord. It's really about you. It's about our own selfish heart that is deep within us. And this is what James says. And look what, well, look what James says here. He doesn't say, now, what you need to do here is stop it. Like, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say this. You just need to stop it, and you need to follow the law and be good, obedient little Christians. And if you are good, obedient little Christians, then you won't have fights and quarrels among you. Is that what he says? No. He gives one of the harshest rebukes in all of the New Testament. But in this rebuke, listen, is one of the most beautiful pictures of the gospel. Let's dig in and let's see it together. Look at verse 4. It says, you adulterous people. 
It's like, well, that makes me feel bad. <laughs> like, that, uh, I'm not encouraged in the Lord with that. But here's the problem. I think the ESV commentators didn't want to, to make this leap of what James is really trying to say here. Because if you look at the Greek right here in you adulterous people, he uses the feminine noun of adulteresses. So he looks at the church that he's talking to, and he looks at them and says, you, uh, which is a, a mixture of both male and female, and he calls them all the female version of adulteresses. You say, Cody, help me out here. Why is that, why is that big? It's big because God... God communicates uh, his relationship of who we are to him in multiple different ways. He says, you are like my sheep, and I am the great shepherd. He also says, you are like clay, and I am, in the, I am the potter. You are in my hands in that way. I'm forming and making you. And Isaiah 54 says, your creator is your husband. And the New Testament talks about the church. The church of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, who he bought and paid for, is his bride. You know what James is saying right here? He's saying whenever you try to make everything about you and, and really uh, your, all the strife and quarrels that are happening within the church are really just about you and your factions and your power and your influence and your approval and your comfort and everything like that, whenever you are doing that and you're elevating yourself over elevation of Christ, what he's saying is you are being an adulteress. You, you are chasing after the glory that only belongs to Christ. And it cannot be this way. It cannot be this way. Why? Because you are his bride. He loves you. He chose you. He went to pursue you. He desires you. He, he cherishes you. And whenever you elevate your own glory over the glory that only belongs to Christ, he's saying, that's treason. It should not be this way. You're being an adulteress. You're choosing, you're chasing after a lover that is not the one that bought and paid for you with his own blood, who laid down his life for you. And it goes on to say, you do not know, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And this word friendship, whenever it's, it goes back to the Hebrew, it's the same word as friendship as the word of wife of deep, intimate, committed friendship with a spouse. And that's what, it, that's what it's saying. Don't you know that if you're trying, if, if you pursue friendship with the world by elevating yourself and elevating your own preferences over the person in glory of Christ, that is putting you at enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you not suppose that it is to no purpose that the scriptures says, this is verse 5, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. See what it's saying? God yearns for you. And whenever we're chasing our own glory and we're trying to elevate self and we're trying to make our theological pet peeves the ultimate thing over the glory of Christ and the mission of God, what we're doing is we're living for lesser things and we're pursuing Lesser gods. Lesser things that we make ultimate in our own life. And so he's literally saying that he's jealous the way the husband is jealous over a spouse. And I, I, heard, a, I heard a funny 
little interview about whenever Oprah left the faith uh, that, uh, you know, back in the 90s or 80s or something. It was a long time ago. When it, before she started, started uh, Oprahism or whatever it is, which is basically Buddhism with a little bit of flair of <laughs> Oprah or whatever, you know. And, um, and she said that the number one reason she left the faith is she was sitting in church one day and the pastor stood up and said, God is a jealous God. And she thought to herself, that God is so petty. I think God is bigger than that. And it'd be a shame if she left the faith. Like, I think she'd already been far away from orthodoxy at this point. But it'd be such a shame if she thought that this was just some petty jealousy of two teenagers fighting over, fighting over who gets the video game controller next. No, like, this is talking about a husband and a wife in the same way that I wouldn't say that Stephanie is petty by her saying, you know what? Cody, don't go date other women. And I look at (laughs) Stephanie, you know, a little insecure whenever I go out on dates with other women, you know, like, what's her deal? No, no. (laughs) What in the world? Spouses yearn for the affection and desire of their other, of their spouse. Husbands yearn for the affection of their, of their wife. Wives yearn for the affection of their of their husband, and when we have a double, a divided mind, it should not be this way. And it, look what it's saying: it's saying that God is our husband. God is our husband who is pursuing us, who's pursuing us, and we need to devote our whole self to Him, to His glory alone. So James is trying to shock us, shock us with this this really intense you adulteresses thing. And then he look what he says in. Verse 6, and he says, but he gives more grace. But he gives more grace. And this is the beauty and the hope that we have in Jesus. That even whenever we are pursuing lesser things, even whenever we're pursuing lesser gods, he says, turn back to me, and I will run. I will run to you. One of the ways that this plays out in my life is um, kind of being an every-down-back preacher, guy, you know, like what I'm doing here, is um, oftentimes whenever I'm planning and preparing, I'll go through, um, you know, just bouts of, Lord, I'm stuck. I don't know what I need to do with this. And I, man, I just, help me make a really good illustration here. Help me really drive this home. Help me preach with conviction. Help me do this. And so often, what I notice in my own heart is I'm like, Lord, I, I need you to bless the sermon. I need you to bless the sermon. I need you to bless the sermon. I notice that really what my heart is saying, Lord, I want you to bless me so that Redeemer Church can be okay and that everyone doesn't hate this time. Whenever I get up and pre- I, I make it about myself. And whenever that happens, whenever I'm preparing, I have to step back and go, whoa, Lord, whatever that is, I want that to die. Because I don't want this to be about me. I want it to be about you and you alone. I want your glory to be elevated during the time that we come together and worship as a congregation. And so you pray for, you pray for me. You pray for your pastor as I'm preparing and studying God's word so that we can elevate Christ together during this time. Because it ever turns about me, that is wicked. And please leave and go to a place that it's not about the guy and not about the people up, up on stage. Go to a place that loves and cherishes Christ. So you pray that that is the undivided attention of my heart to want to elevate Christ in Christ 
alone during this time. But this is what I do during that moment. I don't say, man, I did it again. I made it about myself. And I grab the bat and start to beat myself. No, no. I preach the gospel to myself. Oh, but the Lord, you give more grace. You give more grace in every single circumstance. Whenever I try to make it about myself, you are, you can turn it so quickly to make it about you. And so look what he says. He says, submit yourselves. This is verse 7. Therefore, to God, he gives more grace. So submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Say to God, God, I am yours. I am yours. Heart, body, soul, and strength, I am all together for you. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. He will make straight your paths. And you say, Cody, that's it. You want me to pursue God so that I don't fight and quarrel. That's it? Wow. That won't work. I've tried it. I've tried it, but listen to me. If that's your heart right now, say, no, that's not going to work. You just want me to turn to God, humble myself before him, cleanse my hands, you sinners, resist the devil. That's all you you want me to do? It's not going to work. Listen to me. Listen to me. If that is you right now, you have to admit that the principle is true. That the principle is true. If you in your heart says, you know what, God, your word is not sufficient for me to be able to, to heal the brokenness deep inside. The principle is true that you will not be healed with a prideful attitude. Because you know what, you know what happens whenever you say to yourself, whenever you say to yourself, you know what, I've tried to do it God's way and it didn't work. You're putting yourself on level, uh, level status with God as a peer or maybe even a superior. And the principle is this. Humble yourself under the Lord. Humble yourself. Cleanse yourself. He, he talks about priestly duties and almost staccato. In the Greek, there is no, there's no uh, pronouns here. It says, cleanse hands, sinners. Purify hearts, double-minded. He doesn't say you at all. He just is going one after another, and he's saying, this is what a priestly duty, uh, this is the duty of, uh, of a royal priesthood that Peter says that we are in Christ Jesus. And then he talks about prophetic language. He says, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And you know what he's saying here? He's saying, humble yourselves. Cry out to God. And, this, and listen, this is, not, this is not talking to non-believers. I'm just like, if you just start walking his way, he'll start walking yours. Like, that's not, that's not uh, it's not talking about evangelism right here. It is talking to the Christian. It's saying, if you find yourself in this self-centered trap, whether it's positive or negative, to where you're only self-centered and thinking about yourself in, in, in a very arrogant way, or whether you're just like, I'm the worst, I'm terrible, I'm in a, in a negative way, you're... That both of those are forms of pride. And whenever you find yourself in this pride trap, he says, be wretched, mourn, and weep. Turn to God, humble yourselves, and run. Run to him with the body of Christ at your side, encouraging you to do this. And whenever that happens, whenever that happens, he says, healing is close by, and he will run to you. It's the same picture. It's the same picture of the prodigal God 
Remember this? Whenever, whenever the man went and said, you mean nothing to me. God, I don't care anything about you. Give me my inheritance. I'm going to take it and leave. And he goes and he leaves and he squanders everything and he has nothing. And, he, and he's wallowing around in the mud for a long time. And then he turns around and says, why don't I just go back to God? Why don't I just go back to my father who loves me and cherishes me? And he turns around and while he was a long way off, our God ran to him ran to him. This is what James is trying to communicate and teach us, believers. Just turn, turn, humble yourself. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of the Lord, and he will run. He will run. Put down your pride and say, God, your ways are better than my ways. Please do this. I beg you, because he's going to meet you. He's going to meet you with joy and acceptance, with festival gathering saying, you're always welcomed. You're always welcomed in. The book of Hosea, I'll end with this. You know the book of Hosea, the whole plot line? Hosea get the, gets the worst uh, prophet, you know, directives ever. He says, okay, hey, wake up, Hosea, and um, go marry a prostitute. And he just kind of says it under his breath, go do it. And Hosea's like, what? You want me to do Do what? Go marry a prostitute? He goes, yeah, go marry a prostitute. Go, go do it. So he goes and does it. And guess what? Not very long after adultery. She, she goes, Gomer goes and shacks up with another guy. Goes up and shack, shacks up with another guy. And you know what Hosea does? He says, God, why'd you, why'd you make me do this? I'm, I'm a prophet of God. And he, my whole life is filled with shame now. I, I have a wife who... As a prostitute and adulteress, what, what am I to do? And you know what God says to Hosea? Go get her. Win her back. And he does it. And she leaves again. And he goes, go again. And she leaves again until he's broke. He buys her back over and over and over again until he pays everything that he has to buy back his wife. And listen. The whole point of the book of Hosea is to point us to the prodigal God who left heaven and earth to come and pursue you so that whenever you adulteresses pursue other things other than him, you can humbly turn and just glance back at him and you'll see his legs running to you. This is our God. This is our God. He's this merciful. He's this kind. He wants unity. And this is the way, this is the power of the gospel-centered community. By remembering who we are, we're adulterers saved by grace, who our husband left everything he had, sold everything he had, gave everything he had to win you back, not just once, but over and over and over again. Run to him. Run to him. Let's pray.